Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. We're going to talk about COVID-19 booster shots as they are on the way. Wave three, apparently much harder than wave one uh, amid parents and kids regarding COVID-19. The prime minister being praised for his work at the COP26 conference. Today is show your local love day. The Ticats and the local public school board partnering on an exciting new project. And we're going to show you how to save money at the register online and the physical one. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. The hot topic being bandied about in this province is the COVID-19 booster shots. As of Saturday, certain age groups and those that meet other eligibility criteria will be able to start booking their appointments as of this weekend. Is it going to be effective? Is it needed? Well, let's ask our next guest, Dr. Timothy Slyes, an epidemiologist and professor emeritus in the School of Population and Public Health at Ryerson University, and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Dr. Sly. Good morning, Rick. Is a booster shot really needed? I think that's the question most people are asking. Well, you know, people we're looking at the evidence as it rolls in constantly. We never stop doing that. And so far, the evidence is quite convincing that the in increased protection given by that third shot uh, is unmistakable. It's, uh, you can measure it quite clearly. It's, it's, a, it's an enormous improvement. So the, the idea of giving it to the people who are most uh, vulnerable at the moment, if you think about it, we're going into a winter season and uh, when this thing rolls out eventually, it might just become uh, like an additional part of the seasonal flu vaccine. You know, we'll get our three flu antigens and one COVID thrown in probably about this time of year. So in that sense, it seems to predict the future. Is a booster shot almost like, uh, you know, the, the comparison being filling up a gas tank? You know, you fill up your tank, uh, the, the, the first and second doses, they kind of dwindle a little bit in terms of e- efficacy. And that third shot kind of fills the tank again. Is that a proper analogy on what's going on? I think it's still a reasonable analogy. It's certainly the one we're using in the beginning. But, you know, more and more we've got to start thinking about this probably being uh, a three-dose vaccine. You remember that that many vaccines, you, you, when you're a child, you're given one and then the second and then the booster. Some are two, some are one, some are three. Rabies, remember, is a four-shot vaccine separated by, first of all, half a week, then one week, then two weeks, and four weeks. And this may well become more like that. Uh, but the data are still rolling in. We, obviously, we only started giving vaccines about a year ago, and most people haven't got it for, for about nine months. So we still need to see how it rolls out. But that's what it's looking like. Uh, people who received uh, two AstraZeneca shots or the Janssen vaccine um, are eligible to start booking their appointments as of Saturday. Does that mean those individuals are less vaccinated, if you will, than, than others? Well, I think the important thing to remember here is that nothing is 100%. Since the beginning of this pandemic, the screening methods, the monitoring, the, the hand washing, the, the, uh, the vaccinations, if you like, everything has been less than 100% effective. And that's pretty normal for a lot of biological systems. So the idea is to say, well, there's nothing 100% good, 100% bad. Everything's in the middle. So when you look at the performance of the vaccines, the mRNA vaccines have been uh, the best, 
and then slightly below those, and still way inside of what we expected at the beginning of the vaccine rollout, have been the viral vector vaccines. That's the Janssen one and the AstraZeneca. So the decision was made uh, to, if we're going to include slightly more vulnerable people, the aged people, the nasty old crusty people like me who should have been put away long ago, <laughs> and the people with underlying conditions, then why don't we put also, we, if we've got room, let's put in some of the uh, viral vector people as well, just to, just to top them up, if you, if you want to use your analogy. Yeah. Dr. Timothy Sly is an epidemiologist and professor emeritus in the School of Population and Public Health at Ryerson University, joining us here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Um, Ontario's Chief Medical Officer of Health, Dr. Kieran Moore, said yesterday that COVID wants to mutate. Does a booster shot help prevent that process? Well, you know, this is, uh, this is the dilemma of the situation. Uh, ideally, ideally, uh, if you take a population, any given population, uh, let's, give them, let's get them vaccinated up to at least the herd immunity level. We know there are some people who probably it's very too young, they're infants or, or whatever the reason is. Let's get it all done. And so that will protect that population. But let's, let's pull back a little bit. Let's look at where we are in the whole world. We've got a vast number of populations around the world who we haven't even started to vaccinate them yet. And here's, the, here's where the rubber hits the road. The mutants come from the places where there's viral replication going on at a very fast rate. They've all done that so far. The Brazilian one uh, in England in the beginning, South Africa, so on and so on. Uh, so what we need to do is to bear in mind that so far, the variants have been something we can understand. They simply they replicate a little more, a little more rapidly, a little more effectively. But the next one may come along, and it may well avoid all of that nice antibodies that we've built up. Right? It may well not be affected by the vaccines. If that happens, that's a game change. We've got to go back to the beginning for, with vaccines again. None of them are any good. So we've got to keep an eye on what's going on in the rest of the world and say, look, whatever we can do, we've got to get vaccinated, vaccination to those populations. All of those countries in Africa, a lot of them in the Middle East, South America, let's get them vaccinated as soon as possible. That way we're going to be little less uh, guaranteed there's going to be more, more vaccinated, more variants appearing. I agree wholeheartedly with uh, your assessment in that regard, Dr. Sly. Thank you very much for the time and enjoy your day. It's been my pleasure, Rick. Thank you. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. The impact of the COVID-19 pandemic has certainly been felt uh, by many of us, if not all of us. Uh, now there is a new report, and this is focusing on the third wave of the pandemic in a study called Impact of the COVID-19 Pandemic on Ontario Families with Children. We're pleased to be joined by the research lead and associate professor at McMaster University, Andrea Gonzalez. Andrea, good morning. Thanks for joining us today. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. So the McMaster University and Offord Center for Child Studies has released a, uh, a second Ontario parent survey. Uh, the first was done in 2020. Um, how are these results looking and uh, in comparison to 2020? We, we found, well, first in the, in the first wave, the first study was done during the first sort of lockdown and start of remote learning uh, for children and families. And what surprised us with the first set of findings were the 
high level of depressive symptoms that uh, parents were reporting in themselves and, and high level of anxiety symptoms as well. Um, I think what surprised us with the third wave that even though those first numbers were already really quite high um, in comparison to you know, pre-COVID studies, the third wave, um, parents were reporting even higher numbers. So we had about uh, 69% of caregivers across the province who were reporting significant um, levels of depressive symptoms during that third wave. So it sounds like the initial shock of uh, lockdowns, restrictions, no school, remote learning um, was handled, you know, accordingly. Obviously, there was higher amounts of stress, anxiety, depression. We certainly heard stories in the news over the last number of months, uh, certainly at the start of the pandemic. As as the pandemic drew on and we're into now wave three, those feelings were intensified. Is that an accurate statement? I think so, or that it was it was affecting more parents. So that I, I guess it was the chronicity and the pervasiveness of it um, that were certainly driving, I think, the uh, findings. Because when we broke down the questions a bit more, people were reporting, in, you know, just difficulties with concentration and effort and and motivation and challenges with with sleep. So when you think about how long everyone was already in this a year into it and how many waves of lockdowns and, and remote learning and, and kids um, being out of school uh, by the third wave, it, it was just a, real, a lot for people to be handling. Andrea Gonzalez is the lead researcher of the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on Ontario families with children. Findings from the third wave is the name of the report. An associate professor at McMaster University and Tier 2 Canada Research Chair in Family Health and Preventative Interventions. What are some of the biggest challenges ahead for these parents and these children who have been struggling over the last year and a bit? Yeah, I think that um, one of the other main findings we had in the study was a, a large proportion of parents were reporting um, having spoken to a professional about their own mental health concerns. So 50% of parents had reported speaking to a professional about it. But what was more concerning was 17% of um, parents felt that they needed assistance with their mental health concerns, but um, didn't seek it. And there were various reasons for that. So uh, not even knowing where to find the information or um, concerns about long wait times. So I think I think moving forward, if people are still struggling, there are resources out there. In the report, we've included some links um, and we know that our community partners um, are offering programs. So if people are feeling that they themselves are continuing to struggle or their children um, are struggling, you know, to, to certainly reach out for help. And, and I think parents, part of the, the issue that we've heard at least anecdotally and through some of our qualitative components of the study was um, because of having to balance work and school work and, and, just everyday life that they really prioritize their own self-care last. Um, so maybe now that children are back in school and hopefully that will be maintained. Yeah, we only have about a minute to go here. Um, the report also makes some recommendations and basically saying, hey, stay away from the lockdowns. 
Yeah, it's it's a big ask and one that we we certainly um, would, you know, obviously you have to balance the the, the virus rates and, and infection rates out there. But I, I think one of the main messages that certainly came through was the impact of, of the lockdowns on children and parents and and the the effects of the isolation on the kids and and not being able to interact with their friends and then the you know the the extreme stress that parents went through trying to balance all the homeschooling so if as much as possible to to keep schools open i think it really is key to maintaining you know the mental health and well-being of of parents and and kids very much so andrea really appreciate the time today thanks for joining us thank you so much you're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Good morning and welcome to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Rick Samprin here. Don't forget to subscribe to the GMH podcast wherever you get your favorite podcast. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau fresh off a um, what many are saying is a stellar performance at the COP26 UN Climate Conference uh, over the weekend. Uh, joining us to chat about it is National Post columnist John Iveson. John, good morning. Good morning. Uh, your thoughts on the Prime Minister's uh, pledges and performance at COP26. What did you think? Well, I mean, I write for the National Post. We don't often say great things and nice things about the, the Prime Minister, but I think, <laughs> um, but I think he, uh, he did okay in, um, in Glasgow. Uh, I think he identified the right issue to push when he had that kind of audience listening, and that was basically that... Uh, Canada has taken some pretty major steps on on addressing climate change, namely the carbon tax, and that other countries should do the same thing. So you're alluding to his suggestion that there should be a standard uh, global carbon pricing system. Right. So what what he suggested was that, um, so he co-hosted a carbon pricing event on Tuesday, and he said that uh, 60% of the world's greenhouse gases should be covered by a price on pollution by 2030, up from roughly 20% now. Uh, and the day before, he'd made the point that um, it should not be free to pollute anywhere in the world, uh, just as the c- countries have reached an agreement on a global minimum corporate tax so that you can't squirrel money away in, in you know corporate tax bolt holes around the world. So countries should come together and, and uh, agree to a minimum tax on pollution. It now, is, just to, to add a, a caveat on that, I don't think that that's going to happen. I, mean, I don't think you're going to see China or Russia or India or even the United States um, coming together to agree to a carbon tax. But I do think it's the first step in more concerted efforts to, for example, introduce tariffs and, and, and levies on goods that are not affected by a carbon tax. Uh, I was going to make the same suggestion that, you know, proposing this is one thing, but getting some of the other world powers, and you name probably the big three and maybe the big three polluters in the U.S., China, and Russia to, you know, play along the same lines, it's it's probably not going to happen. Does it, however, set the foundation for, I don't know, 20 or 30 or 40 years from now for many countries to be doing this? <clears throat> well, I think what will happen is that you will get some countries signing up to, to, um, to this minimum tax. The IMF is behind this initiative the world bank is behind it and and you know trudeau's put himself at the forefront of this idea but i think what's more likely to happen is that a market solution will will occur and that um you know so canada is going to have a 170 dollar per ton price on greenhouse gas emissions uh, come 2030 
Um, the U.S. under Biden, although they don't they don't have a carbon tax, they are going to spend trillions of dollars on a whole bunch of di- different uh, climate change initiatives, which I think the, the Americans will argue is performs a similar function to a carbon tax. And for for those countries then to be undercut by producers that come in from India or China with steel or cement or whatever it might be, where there is no carbon tax, I don't think countries are going to put up with it. I mean, the, the European Union has already released a plan. I think Canada is... I mean, Trudeau was asked about this, and he said, well, there are many ways to do this. One of them is to put a, for everybody to agree to this, and the other way is for, for, for us simply to, to put up a tariff, uh, you know, impose a tax on goods coming in from countries that don't have a carbon tax. And I think that's what's going to happen. I think we'll see more and more countries signing up to this, what they call a carbon tax adjustment. And it might it's going to mean that goods that come from countries that don't have a carbon tax become more expensive, but it at least is going, to, is going to mean that producers in Canada are not undercut simply because they have to pay a carbon tax. John Iveson is our guest here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. John is a columnist with the National Post. Um, the other, I guess, commitment or pledge that the Prime Minister made during the conference, certainly during the G20, was a cap on oil and gas emissions here in Canada. Alberta is saying, hey, thanks a lot. Uh, you know, critics or environmentalists are saying it, it doesn't go far enough. We should be capping production. Uh, your thoughts on that commitment and how it could be rolled out and, and whether it's going to be effective or not? Well, it's going to happen. I mean, that's the bottom line. It's, it's, there's no point in, in fighting this thing. It's going to happen. We know it's going to happen because the, the big producers who, produce, who are responsible for 90% of Canada's oil sands have already signed up to the idea of net zero by 2050. Now, you know, the, the way we, the direction is set, the way we get there is not set, and that's going to be, you know, it's going to be all important how the government does this. Uh, Jason Kenney was out on Monday, the Premier of Alberta, saying it's, it's going to be technology-based, and I think it will be technology-based. You know, there, are going to be new, there is so much ingenuity and investment now flooding into how do we capture carbon, how do we uh, start using hydrogen, how do we use all these other um, clean tech processes. And I think as over time, that's going to be the, where the big gains are made. But it's interesting that um, you know, Justin Trudeau brought in an environment an environmental activist as his environment minister, which I think set off alarm bells all over um, the West and, and, and even in uh, even in, in the East, that this was a guy who was going to come in and he was going to impose his will and it was going to be pretty dramatic. Uh, the, the early suggestions that are that it's going to be less dramatic, that that um, Stephen Gilbo, the new environment minister, has talked about a consultative people-centered approach, ensuring a just transition for workers and their communities uh, that would include consultations with the Alberta government and with industry. You know, that is, I think, the way that it has to go. It has to be uh, agreed to on the ground. I mean, you can imagine if you're a, a, an oil sands worker and you're, you know, you're earning uh, the, the salary of a government minister, you know, $200,000 or when you're driving your pickup truck in your house and whatever, you're worried about your, your future. You're not going to get that working for a for a you know solar panel company, so you know clearly there's there's a lot of concern and anxiety. The government is going to have to try and manage that concern and anxiety, and I think um, uh, you know the way we get there to this just transition is going to be all important. Very much so. But it's happening. There's, yeah. no, there's no point in 
and fighting that war because that war is over. You got it. The, the truck is uh, slowly going down the tracks. Uh, John, a fascinating insight as always. Really appreciate the time today. Okay, thanks a lot. Cheers. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Today is Show Your Local Love Day. It's a chance to give back and help local agencies. And here to chat about it is Brenda DeLoder, Vice President of Marketing and Communications at the United Way Halton and Hamilton. Brenda, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Great. Thank you. So what's happening today? Well, today is Show Your Local Love Day. And what that means is we have over 200 volunteers registered for projects in the community, and they'll be volunteering their time to help out local agencies. And these agencies are really the network of support that provide the social safety net to so many individuals right now and really helping them expanding their capacity to get get things done and to support those most vulnerable. Obviously, these agencies have really been hard hit during the pandemic. And and this type of day, this type of volunteership is going to do a lot of good, I would understand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this pandemic has really stretched the social services sector to its limits. And, um, you know, we're seeing um, 42% increase in demand for services, all while seeing decreases in abilities to to raise funds and decreases in staffing in some cases. So when people and individuals come together from community to help these organizations so they can in turn help more and more individuals in need, that's a big win. So what are people doing today in terms of volunteering? How are they helping out? Mm -hmm. So there are several ways um, and activities that individuals are taking part in. So some are on site in a very safe way, and then some are do at your own pace. So for example, Eva Rothwell, we have individuals going there just to help clean up the property. We also have individuals that are volunteering from home and they're preparing meal kits for those in need. So there's an entire list that's available on our website. Brenda DeLoder joining us, Vice Presidents of Marketing and Communications at the United Way Halton and Hamilton. We're chatting about Show Your Local Love Day, which is today. Uh, Are things looking up in terms of local agencies and organizations during the pandemic? Is there some momentum to positivity or better times ahead? You know, it's really unbelievable the way this community has responded and the way that agencies have really adapted to the the new realities of, of operating However, you know, from our perspective at United Way, the tough work still lies ahead. So we think that we're, we're on the cusp and, and we think that, uh, you know, today and several years from now, from now, we are going to be feeling the impact of this, you know, from mental illness, which is called the shadow or the echo pandemic, you know, that's, that's really um, taking a toll on individuals and, and senior isolation. That's also, you know, um, a big issue that that we're investing in. Um, you know, when you look at uh, employment alone, last year, I think between um, the spring and, and through to June, um, approximately 60,000 people lost their jobs right here in Hamilton. So there's a lot of work ahead, um, but we believe in community and we know that the community will rally together. Yeah, that echo pandemic that you speak of, that is a, a massive challenge, and not only for uh, organizations like the United Way, but corporations, businesses, mom and pop shops, schools. Uh, this is this is going to be a huge uh, dilemma. It's probably an understatement, but it's going to be massive. Yes, yes. Um, it's impacted several people, right? It, it uh, hasn't discriminated at all. Um, McMaster Children's Hospital had indicated at one point in time 
that youth admitted for medical support uh, for suicide attempts had tripled over a four month period. Um, so that's staggering. We also know that there are far too many seniors living in the community in isolation prior to the pandemic. And that's just been exacerbated. And we know that loneliness has been estimated to have the uh, same impact on shortening a person's life by 15 years, the same as smoking 15 cigarettes per day. So it does take a toll. And when we deal with all of these things collectively, um, we're essentially alleviating pressure on the healthcare system. We're uh, giving a younger and youth uh, a better start at um, being successful and being successful with graduating high school in particular, which is a key marker to breaking that cycle of intergenerational poverty. So, so much has been exacerbated for sure by the pandemic. Our guest is Brenda Deloner, Vice President of Marketing and Communications at the United Way, Halton and Hamilton. We are talking about Show Your Local Love Day, a chance to give back and help local agencies. What are some of the challenges that the United Way has overcome over the last 18 to 20 months? And and maybe share a success story or two, because I think, uh, you know, we should be celebrating some of the things that have gone well. Mm. Well, many um, look at United Way as that fundraiser, and that is absolutely a core piece to our work. However, uh, we were able to uh, work in collaboration with the federal government last year to inject some vital funds into the community. Um, In fact, uh, over $4 million supporting 140 local programs were invested last year. And uh, and in addition to those federal funds, the the community really stepped forward to uh, also donate dollars. And our focus was really to pivot, help these organi- help the agencies pivot their operating models so that they could a- adapt their programs to continue supporting individuals. So for example, um, Big Brothers, Big Sisters, how does that program continue to operate when, you know, when there is physical distancing? So making sure that organizations have the technology and um, have the outreach through volunteership to continue that, to, to ensure that people continue to access the programs that they need. Today is Show Your Local Love Day. We've been chatting with Brenda DeLoder from the United Way, Holton and Hamilton. Brenda, thanks for the time today and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you so much. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. This is a pretty cool and exciting initiative that the Hamilton Tiger Cats and the Hamilton Wentworth District School Board have launched. It is a six-week in-class educational program called Our Cup, Our Community, Lessons and Stories from the Canadian Football League. And here to tell us about it is Courtney Stephen. He's the Director of Community Partnerships with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Courtney, good morning. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. This sounds like a really cool initiative. Tell us about it. Well, leading up to the Grey Cup, we wanted to do something uh, in partnership with the school board that would bring some of the kids from the community into the game of football, introduce them to the teams, the culture, the history, the history of this league in the city, some of the great players and the people who have worked within this organization, and you know, use that platform and that messaging to also help raise some important conversation topics and, and help introduce them to ideas from physical literacy to the importance of diversity, equity, and inclusiveness. Let's chat first about physical literacy. I, I want to get to the other ones, uh, but in terms of physical physical literacy, what are we talking about? Just getting kids active? Absolutely. I mean, especially after a year of kids taking online classes and 
um, being somewhat restricted. You know, there haven't been as many sports teams. There hasn't been the normal uh, get up and go that I think a lot of parents have been used to, you know, driving kids to soccer practice and all of those things. So uh, just emphasizing the importance of staying active, staying healthy, um, you know, just taking an approach to exercise that it's fun and that, you know, different things can be um, activity. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be lifting weights or, or shooting a basketball, but, you know, running up the stairs to go to your room or, uh, you know, jumping up and down on, on the way to school and, and high-fiving the leaves like they're fans at a Ticats game. I mean, just understanding how to use your body and embracing the different things that make you an athlete, even if you're not necessarily scoring touchdowns. Equally important in terms of physical literacy is the diversity, equity, and inclusion part of this. How important and how integral is this part of the lesson plan? Well, I think it's it's really core to what we're trying to accomplish because, you know, these principles are things that that really any thriving community is going to be built on. I mean, in Hamilton, we have such a diverse group of people here. Um, so many people are, are new to this country and to this community. Some of them don't even know anything about football. So to be able to bring them into a game where you've got big guys, little guys, you've got um, some ladies, some gentlemen, you've got, you know, older people, younger people. Football is really a great microcosm of what a community can be because there's a place for everybody and you know you can really find common ground with people who you may not think you have much in common with on the surface. Our guest good on um, Good Morning Hamilton here on 900 CHML is Courtney Stephen, the Director of Community Partnerships with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. We are talking about a new initiative, a six-week in-class education program called Our Cup, Our Community, that is being launched by the Tiger Cats and the Hamilton Public School Board. It's already begun. It uh, launched on Monday, goes all the way to December 6th, and this is for kids in grades 4 to 6, um, you mentioned the history of the CFL, and, and this perhaps is reaching out to a new generation of fans. Absolutely. I mean, there's so many great storylines that you could tell. Um, there's an endless amount of names that have you know, contributed to making this game as, um, as meaningful as it is to this community and this country. I mean, the Grey Cup every year is the Canadian uh, pinnacle of TV, you know, so there's a reason why so many people tune into that game and it's names like Chuck Ely and John McDonald and um, those people who contributed to great moments in Ticat history that make the fans and Tim Hortons field so excited to show up every weekend. So in this six week lesson plan, you know, some of the things we do is we break down the stories of these heroes and, and explain why what they did is so important and why, what they did is worth talking about. This lesson plan also includes, from what I understand, a video sneak peek inside Tim Hortons Field. Do you have a favorite spot in the stadium, uh, probably aside from the field itself? Well, I mean, it's, it's not too bad when you get to go into the hot tubs. Those are <laughs> <laughs> the best parts. But, uh, you know, we, we want to show some of the kids some of the things they wouldn't have been able to do because the pandemic had prevented them from coming on a tour. So trying to show them where the food is prepared, the locker rooms, um, the tunnel walking onto the field, showing them the press boxes and all of the different things that you may not see on a game day, but they're all parts of a stadium that you're not going to find in another workplace. Tim Hortons Field, also the site of the 108th Grey Cup on December the 12th. Tickets can be purchased at Ticketmaster.ca, Ticats.ca. The general public tickets uh, still up for grabs. Not sure there's many left, but there are, if there are, you better uh, hurry to get yours. Uh, Courtney, really appreciate the time today. Uh, good luck with this initiative, and uh, we'll talk to you down the road.
Thanks so much for having me. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Rising prices at uh, malls, grocery stores, really everywhere you look, things seem to be more expensive these days. Supply chain issues certainly to blame. Um, Holiday shopping season is upon us, so people are going to be out and about looking for gifts. So how can we all save a little money at the register? Nicole is behind Coupon Cutie Canada. It's a Facebook page helping Canadians score the best deals. And Nicole joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Nicole. How are you? Good morning. I'm super good. How are you? Not too bad. How did you get into this? Um, I started couponing about eight years ago. Um, one of my friend's son was getting stuff for free with coupons and I was like, oh my gosh, I need to start doing that. (laughs) (laughs) Give me some of that action. Exactly. So, um, I've seen TV shows on couponing. Most of them are based out of the U S which I think has different rules. Is that correct? It is correct, but those TV shows aren't even what it's like anymore in the USA either. But oh, really? definitely, no one, it's, but it does look super amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so what is couponing like in Canada? Or is, is this a diligence process? Is it easy to do? Extreme couponing isn't the easiest thing to do, but couponing and save money, that's absolutely easy to do. And that's what I show people is like how to get started and how to save money. And that is absolutely easy to do. So what are the first steps if someone is thinking, man, I got to save a few bucks, especially this holiday season with prices going up, where should they start? Yeah, they should start by price matching at the store, using cashback apps like Checo 51, PC Optimum points to get points back, and, of course, collecting coupons. <laughs> is there a, um, a, a no-go zone or, or things that people do that they shouldn't be doing in relation to couponing? They shouldn't photocopy coupons. <laughs> That's like a, I don't know if you've seen those movies, the movie that came out recently about couponing fraud. Um, so that would be one thing is don't photocopy coupons. That's like our big thing we don't want people to do. So is that against the law or it just doesn't work? No, it's illegal, yeah. It's okay, illegal. <laughs> so that, that's definitely a no-go zone. We don't want to get people arrested. Exactly. So how much uh, during a week or a month would you save using couponings? Have you made that calculation? You know what? A lot of people ask me that. I don't calculate that specifically for myself. But just like, for example, toilet paper is something that I always like to talk about because we all have had such an issue with toilet paper the last year. But, like, there's things where you can save, like, $2 extra off toilet paper when you get it on sale, stack it with an in-store points offer or a coupon, and get a pack of toilet paper for, like, 2 or 3 bucks for 24 rolls. Nicole is the Coupon Cutie and uh, runs the Facebook page, helping Canadians score the best deals. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. What are the more, you mentioned toilet papers, what are the more common items where you are seeing those savings because with the help of coupons or price matching? Yeah, so definitely you're going to save on things like toilet paper, price matching for like fruits and vegetables and meat especially, Um, are great ways to save money every day. We always seem to get fries for free. I don't know what it is with fries, but fries are something that we save on like a ton of. Just everyday items too, like you can save a couple bucks here and there, which is great. So as you're shopping, do you have like that, that mental frame of mind in terms of what you need and what you have space for as well? Um. 
what I need and what I have space for. Well, like when I go to the store, I'll have an idea of things that I need. When I'm at the store, I will check those items to price match them. Mm-hmm. And that's usually kind of the way I save. Um, as for room, I usually always make room if something's for free. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good policy for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, are, are you like me? And I'm sure many of our listeners are, do this as well. You know, we go to the store for one thing and we, you know, more often than not, we leave the store with a couple of other items that we weren't really planning to get. Is is yeah. that is that a bad idea or, or can we do something about that through couponing or, or price matching or, or just general shopping sense? Yeah, so this is one thing I was uh, just thinking about last night with this whole segment is there's a way that you can save money on everyday things that you have to buy and save that money and use that towards the things that um, you want, not that you need. So if you can go to the store, save $2 off toilet paper, use that $2 want, um, this is a, even a great way just to save money and to use it towards other things that you want to buy. Pretty good tip. Nicole, thanks for the time today. Congratulations and good luck with Coupon Cutie Canada in the future. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. You can check out Coupon Cutie Canada on Facebook. Again, helping Canadians score the best deals. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.